0: Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer.
1: Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host here for the next hour on the Talent Talk Radio Show. Today, we've got uh, some great guests, and for the rest of the year, we've already uh, planned out a, a great rest of the year uh, with some fantastic people. We hope you'll come back and uh, check us out each week and uh, hear more from all of them. But in case this is the first time that you have actually turned into our show, Let me kind of explain to you how it works. We try to feature a wide range of guests who care about talent management, leadership development, and company culture. So in the business world, talent has a couple different meanings, and the first relates to success and how talented people achieve success. Kind of, you know, what are their... Richard Branson's of the world doing? What can we learn from them? And the second is, you know, uh, how it relates to success and how really talented people, excuse me, how, um, how talent in human resources and HR leaders find the best candidates for their companies. So looking at how these really talented HR execs can motivate and uh, get, get the people within the organization going. So we try to take those two areas and generally they have a lot of mixing and crossover there. And Try to figure out how talented individuals can really impact a company's culture, something that I'm really fascinated about. So the guests that we typically have on, and I may have said the word typically already 10 times today. We'll try to knock that off. But we usually have CEOs, HR executives, entrepreneurs, coaches, authors, just about anyone from just about any industry who has something important to say on these topics. So I usually at networking events or conferences or uh, through LinkedIn or Twitter, all the different kinds of social areas where I had the privilege of meeting some of these inspiring leaders. And I created this forum to allow you to listen on our dialogue and hopefully learn some practical advice that will help you cultivate talent, develop leaders, manage culture, and most importantly, impact your own career in a positive way. So I want to thank those of you who are uh, tuning in live here every Tuesday, and especially those of you who are here right now. Um, if you have any questions live for our guests, just go ahead and uh, tweet them, at PeopleG2. Uh, use the hashtag Talent Talk, and my producer, Mike, will try to feed me the best questions, and we'll work them into the show as time allows. We've also gotten some great uh, feedback and guest suggestions, so keep all that coming. You can send it directly to PeopleG2, or you can just use that hashtag Talent Talk, and I'm sure Mike will be watching for that so uh, don't forget, though, you can tune into iTunes. You can go to your iHeartRadio app, because now we're syndicated with iHeartRadio. And you can subscribe to the feed and have this show sent to you. You can look at all the past shows, listen to them, find the ones that are interesting to you. Um, sometimes people typically will go to the Marshall Goldsmith episode or David Marquet or some of the, the biggies. But uh, there may be a lot of other people in there that uh, aren't quite as famous, that have a lot of great things that are similar to your industry, and you may want to hear what they have to say. So they're there for you anytime you want. Um, and we really, look, really appreciate. Uh, I think we're over 190,000 of you who are subscribing to that feed uh, and getting that show every week. So thank you. Let's go ahead and get uh, today's show started. My first guest will be Barry Marr, president of Barry Marr and Associates, and my second guest will be Stephen Murphy. He's the partner and CEO of uh, Red Bamboo Marketing. Let's look forward to speaking to Stephen here in the second part of the show. But let's go ahead and get to my first guest, Barry. Welcome to the show.
2: Uh, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, so tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're currently working on with your company, uh, Barry Marin Associates.
2: Well, Barry Marron Associates is a, is a much smaller company than it used to be. It started out as a consulting firm, and I had uh, maybe at one point 11 or 12 associates. Uh, now Barry & Associates has the same name, but it's two people. It's me and my assistant, and I speak all over the country, all over the world, uh, organizations of all sizes.
1: So I know, you know you've been in the role as a consultant, a trainer, a speaker for over 27 years, I think, if your, your profile is correct on LinkedIn. And so how did you initially find yourself in this role? And what do you kind of attribute to the longevity of this, uh, these things that you've been doing?
2: Really old. <laughs> I've been doing this for 27 years, really?
1: <laughs> Surprise. Well, let's see.
2: <laughs> uh, I guess I must be reasonably good at what I'm doing. Right. Uh, I started out, uh, in college actually built my own company which I built up much further actually after I got out of college uh, sold that went into the corporate world uh, not through any great talent but probably just because I worked harder than anybody else I became very successful first as a salesperson then as a manager then as an executive Uh Started writing about it. Uh, people started writing about me a little bit, and people started asking me to consult. And when you consult and you do a good job, and people actually pay attention to what you say, uh, which doesn't always happen when you're consulting, uh, one job leads to another, leads to another, and then at some point, uh, somebody asked me to speak. And uh, you know, the chance to get in front of five, six hundred people, a thousand people, and have them all listening to me couldn't be better. It couldn't be any better than that.
1: Yeah, it really is a fun gig when you can get up there and share your stories and you have people there who actually want to hear it and are diligently writing notes and asking questions and it's it's a real fascinating feeling, isn't
2: it? It's a great feeling. It's uh it's almost like a romance or to be a little bit m- more blunt about it it's almost sexual. Uh you react, they react, uh then you react to their reaction. It's a uh, it's a, it's a great thing. If you're providing information that's worthwhile for these people, and if you're doing it in entertaining ways so you can keep them awake, um, you're making an impact on their lives.
1: Well now I know how you've been doing this for 27 years, because none of my speeches I would ever categorize as sexual, so you must really be doing something <laughs> good.
2: <laughs> I, I come across much more sensual on the radio. Probably, All right. Than I do on, in person when you can't, when you can see me at destroys the whole
1: <laughs> well I know over the years you've worked with some fairly large companies so what have you seen are the biggest areas you know of need for these types of companies
2: you know uh, what I see is I see it all boils down to personnel, personnel and that's from the top to the person that answers the phone one of the things we seem to believe in is that there's such a thing as a company. I don't really believe there's such a thing as a company. I don't believe there's such a thing as an organization. What there is is a team of people, and that's, that's where the whole issue is. The issue is training the people, hiring, bringing aboard the right people, training the right people, making them fit into the company culture, uh, bringing aboard the right executives, promoting the right people, and then having them all be able to communicate with each other in a way that, that creates a single entity out of a, a group of people, and that's not easy to do.
1: Yeah, and that can really be, you know, you could look at that very holistically around right, a very large level, and you could look at that yeah, down to a very small level, right? It's a whole, whole bunch of teams and a whole bunch of little groups of people within a large organization that are uh, kind of having their own impact, right, and existing. Because in the big companies, you really don't necessarily see everything that's going on you know, in just departments that are maybe, you know, a couple of the floor below you, right? Um, it's you really...
2: Very often you don't, yeah. Right, it's very much about... In fact, it's amazing if you do. Uh,
1: <laughs> well, when something goes really wrong, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, then
2: very you, often there's a huge disconnect between the people running the organization and the people that are actually interacting with the customers and the clients idea of being able to have your eyes on on what's happening, of being able to understand what's happening is one of the biggest problems that that you see with a, any number of large companies. I mean, I've dealt with, uh, I don't want to name specifics after saying that, but, you know, Fortune 100 companies, sure. very often you're going to find the CEO has an idea about what's going on in the street, which may have very little to, to do with what's actually going on in the street.
1: Right, right. And that's when, you know, how your, your middle management is really implementing and communicating and are you measuring what, how your employees feel and what they know and what they're saying. I mean, that gets into a whole other other area of testing those perceptions. But really, we, we see it all the time. It's amazing to me how these large companies do as well as they do, and yet you can go in there and find the level of dysfunction that if you did that in a small company, you'd never survive. Yeah, um, you'd
2: be OB right away. Right. Yeah. And, and one of the problems that I see over and over again is that, Is that people downstream from the CEO, downstream from the executives, downstream even from their managers a little bit, don't feel that they can tell these people the truth. I mean, how many times have you seen, uh, you know, if you've been in the corporate world, have you seen some executive ask a question, and the answer he got back or she got back, you knew from personal experience was absolute and total BS. And by BS, I don't mean business speak. I mean just something that didn't have anything to do with reality. But it told him or her what he or she wanted to hear. And the demand characteristics of a question posed by a number of executives can very often determine the answer in a number of organizations.
1: Yeah. I mean, we, we see that even just made fun of in the movies and on TV all the time, right? Just to get in a boardroom of people and they got some loud mouth CEO or exec that's saying what they think and everyone else is agreeing with them or, you know, passive aggressively agreeing with them or what have you. And that's, that's sort of expected. And yet, in, sort of expected, right? right. Yeah. and and yet it's ridiculous, right?
2: <laughs> it, it's absolutely ridiculous because it's the most damaging thing an employee can do to the company, and it's not serving the company, and it really isn't what that person was hired to do. I mean, your employer is owed the truth. If you're in an organization where you don't feel you can give that employer the truth, you need to go someplace else. Yeah, uh, pure and simple.
1: And, and yet, there's probably some some people who might argue there's some middle ground here where the people who are the most effective in those large organizations are fairly political. So they can figure out a way to maybe bring that up or talk about it, but do it in the right context at the right time, in the right, you know, for, format. Um, absolutely. You know, be, I mean, absolutely. To, to deal with all the egos and all those different things. So, um, yeah, you might have to walk back in that person's office after the meeting that you just agreed to and then tell them how, you know, stupid that idea is.
2: <laughs> well, you know, the, the point of it is, like any other form of communication, it it amounts to almost a sales process. Uh, you have to present it in a way that's appealing, that's honest, but that's tactical and that makes a lot of sense, and that isn't going to get the other person back up, because once you do that, they aren't going to pay any attention to anything you say anyway. So basically. Uh, one of the things that I deal with, one of the things I, I train to is sales. And it's amazing how often I'm talking about the same things when I'm talking to a sales audience as when I'm talking to uh, people at the VP level.
1: Right, absolutely. You know, I, I've been able to observe some different organizations, and um, I don't know if you know the organization Cornerstone On Demand. No, I don't. They're a pretty big organization, and um, you a know, tech company and SaaS in SAS uh, in, in West L.A., and, um, their CEO is, uh, a pretty well known guy and, uh, his name's Adam Miller. And what I've noticed his organization went from being very small to now being gigantic and worldwide. There's a characteristic about him that n- no matter what that person is saying or they're talking about, you notice that he listens. Even if it's just for a sec, you know, he, he really hears the person. And so I noticed within the organization, it's all the way down the bottom. You 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 say something to some in the organization and you see that they take the time to listen. They may not agree with you and they may not do anything about it, right? I mean, they're, they're pretty quick processors over there. But that's kind of starts at the top. And I notice with some of those organizations like that that are good, the upper management is demonstrating some, you know, good behaviors in that aspect that then kind of trickle down, whether it's intentional or it's just, you know, by osmosis or whatever, um, have you observed anything like that? You know, where those good or bad behaviors are just sort of, you know, percolate down the organization.
3: You
2: know, that's that's a theory I've had for for years. Ever since I first started my own business in college and was dealing with small organizations, going in, the feeling you get with a lot of companies, a lot of organizations, is you walk in, you talk to the receptionist, you can you get a feeling for what that company's like, mm-hmm. and it's amazing how often that's accurate, and that comes that comes down from the top. It comes from that person's immediate superior, and, and his attitude or her attitude comes from her or his immediate superior. It rolls down from the top. As they say, it goes downhill. And that's why a CEO can make a huge difference in an organization, although it sometimes takes a while for it to, to roll all the way down to the bottom. But uh, yeah, I still believe when I walk in or when I, when I call an organization, I can get a feel for what that organization is like by the person that answers the phone.
1: Yeah, and sometimes it's the best way to start making some changes. If you're the one coming in at the top and want to make changes, you might want to start at the bottom to make some changes, and and then maybe try to you know work it to meet in the middle at some point because um, it's pretty hard to sit up top and just wait for it to to soak all the way through down. It takes a very very long time. I think,
2: and yeah, and you're right. And it's probably, it's probably you're going to be out of there by the time that happens if you just wait for it to happen. Right. One of the things I always advise CEOs to to do, and and senior executives at any level, is once in a while call up the company and pretend to be a customer and see what it's like and see what the customers go through. It can be astonishing. It can be astonishing. I mean, it can be a real eye opener.
1: Right. Right. Well, that's that's good stuff. And so, I know, switching gears a little bit, I know i have written some books and. One of those uh you uh, wrote was uh, Filling the Glass, The Skeptic's Guide to Positive Thinking in Business. What are the main focus of the book and the point that you were trying to get across to your readers in that one?
2: Well, basically, it's just everything we've been talking about here. One of the things that happens is there's very often a disconnect between who I feel I am, who I feel I have to be in my job, and who I feel I am. Uh, If I can't be myself authentically, in an organization, that's going to lead to a problem. And again, it's going to lead to a lack of transparency, a uh, lack of truthfulness, uh, just an anxiety about being there. Uh, and one of the things we talk about filling the glass over and over and over again is, is trying to be the person you are and be within the company that you are, that you're in right now. And again, it's about being honest. It's about being honest with the company. It's about being honest with yourself.
1: Well, and I really like that because in one of the talks that I give about company culture, that comes up we say, you know, one of the big things you can do to have a good company culture is just to be you, right? To stop trying to be Google and Apple and Zappos and whoever else you think is cool because you don't really know everything that they're doing to be who they are and you don't really have maybe the funding or the people or whatever. You got to be honest, right? Just be yourself and and find ways to, to really you know champion those things that you're really good at maybe work at the things you're not and and create that kind of your own identity is is that in some ways parallel or paraphrasing some of the things that you're talking about in the book
2: and that's exactly right that's exactly what the book is about it, it's about being able to be authentic and being able to be you and being within the company you're within uh and that's kind of the, the level of 30,000 feet, but that gets down to a lot of little things. It's about being able to to talk to your boss about the issues that are a real problem. Uh, it's about, of course, but it's about doing it tactfully and doing it in a way that's going to get you the results you need. Rather than boss, that's the worst thing I ever heard of and the stupidest idea you ever come up with, and that really is saying something when talking about stupid. <laughs> well,
1: you know, if uh, you know, random company called you up and said, hey, we need you, and tomorrow uh, to consult for us we have some problems and that's about all you get out of them besides the check <laughs> where do you think you might where would your guess be about what their difficulties that they might be facing You know, kind of given the landscape of businesses right now you're thinking about culture management or strategic management development you know their talent I mean, where might you kind of throw that dart and say this is probably where we're landing here tomorrow
2: no, I, I, first thing I'm looking at is corporate culture Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The first thing I'm looking at is corporate culture. And the first thing I might do is I might mystery shop them myself. Uh, you know, if it's a franchise organization, I might go to a few of these franchises and, and see what's going on there and talk to the franchisee. You know, you know I've been uh, interested in, in what it takes for somebody to buy one of these franchises. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about what you're doing here? And I wouldn't lie to him. I wouldn't say that I'm going to buy a franchise, but I might just see how he feels about it. Uh, if it's company stores, I might go to our company, company outlets or company offices. I might do whatever I could take to find out what's going on there, and that can take a lot of different forms. But again, it's it's finding out what's happening on the street, where the rubber meets the road, where the people are interacting with the customers uh, at whatever level. If it's a company that's doing a whole lot of uh, work over the phone with customer service, uh, you know, I'm going to call up, I'm going to talk to some of these people, I'm going to ask to talk to their managers. I said, no, I think I need to bring this to a higher level, I need to elevate this, I need to see what's going to happen when I try to elevate it, when I try to elevate it from from that manager to the next person up, there, and and just how they react to all these things, because that's really the critical thing. If you could take off, if you could take out the whole executive level and just have everything function where the products and the services are being produced and where they're being uh, and the customers are being serviced, the company would be great. Right. But well, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> without this, without that executive
1: level. I mean it's kind of the premise of the uh the undercover boss, right? Taking that person, allowing them to see what's really happening. Um now in a large organization like that, the people down below don't know maybe know who that person was. Um and sometimes they have to disguise them. In a smaller organization, it's probably a lot simpler, like what you're saying. You know, do, do a mystery call yourself or have one of your friends do it or you know, send another exec who you trust. Um Early in my career, when I used to work at some hotels. We used to, my friends loved it because I'd be like, "Hey, I need someone to come stay the night and give me a full report. You know, how were you treated? How did your stay go? And all that kind of stuff." So we could really validate if we were doing a good job or not doing a good job, and things like that. Um, you, you know, because you, you, you customers themselves sometimes, especially in hospitality, can be interesting. But you know, you got to test those assumptions about. And not only your negative assumptions, I think you gotta test the positive ones too. It, are these people, this particular person really doing as good a job as I think they're doing? Um, right. And That's right. is this person really doing as bad of a job as I think they am? I, I've had people, you know, question employees before and I go, great, let's go back and do an objective, you know, thing and come to find out, well, that all their perceptions were wrong about that person. Mm-hmm. Um, they, that person just wasn't very good at marketing themselves or tooting their own horn or letting everyone know all the great things they were doing. Uh, they were just staying quiet. They're more introverted. So, yeah. It's, it's or maybe, a,
2: yeah, or maybe they, yeah, they aren't kissing the right spots, to be, to be real honest. Right. <laughs> you know, and that can happen because you're getting a lot of times at the managerial level and certainly at the executive level, what you're hearing about people is what you're hearing from the manager down below you. Mm-hmm. And if he's got people that aren't, uh, maybe he's got a problem communicating with, uh, all of a sudden, you know, all his people have problems. Uh, and you're going to hear about how awful all these people are. And maybe the problem is not how awful they are, but how awful the person managing them is.
1: Now, I'm wondering, you know, given your, your vast uh, amount of experience. Uh, I'm really old. Really old. You're 27 years. I know you started speaking at 12, but. Um, that's right. Absolutely right. I'm 39. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I imagine there's been some you know, different models uh, that relate to, to businesses and generations. Uh, of workers, uh, and so millennials has kind of been the the real you know hot topic lately. And with them kind of moving into leadership roles, alongside with those being considered more traditionally minded leaders, uh, what what do you see as some of the biggest challenges facing companies that are you know they're up and coming is going to be a huge gap. There's a, a huge gap of, of talent. We're going to be losing a lot more as far as those those managers, middle managers. Uh, then there are people to take their spots. So we may be throwing a few millennials in there earlier than they're ready. Do, do you see some things that companies might do to be more organized or effective in this area?
2: Again, it, it, you know, it all boils down to culture. It all boils down to the company culture and to making these people fit in. Millennials are not going to put up with the BS that baby boomers put up with. I mean, the baby boomers, when they decided they were going to start working, were willing to work 80, 90, 100 hours a week, whatever it took, and and give their life away, really.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: I did it. Uh, you know, a number of us did it. Uh, any number of us did it across the generation. Millennials actually want to have a life too, uh, and you need to accommodate that because there's some really, really talented people there, and that's what you get. You know, so a company that can integrate the integrate people that actually want to have a life that aren't willing to be used and used and used and used up and then tossed aside uh, like some of these companies you've just talked about uh, then uh, that's going to be successful companies that are going to have the old model that are looking to maximize shareholder value which is one of the worst ideas that that ever came down the pike and not considering how that affects their people or their customers uh, are probably going to go by the wayside
1: yeah I'm waiting for the I suppose it hasn't happened yet, but I mean those companies that use you know their human capital as a way to to make their numbers right so that their uh, their shares do better and things like that or you know don't don't make your business better, but we'll just lay off a ten thousand people to make our numbers this year uh It doesn't seem like it's a long term strategy that's got, that's really viable.
2: Yeah, it's not meant to be usually. It's a, it's a way of pumping up my stock options so I can catch him, cash them out and get out of here before the uh, before the whole thing crashes down around me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of our uh, favorite questions to ask our guests, and hopefully you have a great answer, uh, is uh, <laughs> uh, what are you reading right now?
2: What am, I'm reading something called The Worst Hard Time, which I would recommend to anyone. It's about the dust pole. And it actually it shows what happens when business doesn't consider the entire environment that they're operating in when when people uh, just look to short-term profits in this case you know planting as much grain as possible and not thinking about the long-term consequences not thinking about uh and not thinking about planning for the future and what's going to happen down the road and then down the road a little farther after that and down the road a little farther after that when it comes down to to basically destroying the future so you can pump up profits right now
1: right well, i i read uh Few months back, the Boys in the Boat, and that was a real fascinating book. And i taught part of that was the time during the Dust Bowl. So I don't know if you read the book or not, but, um, you know, it's sort of leading up to World War II at that time. So it really falls into that. And I, a lot of that you, I didn't remember or didn't learn in school because you kind of really focused more on World War II, not the time just before, kind of in, in preparation to that. And the Dust Bowl and Depression, all those things that were occurring. and amazing to me what those people went through and how they were able to overcome really makes anytime anyone complains to me now i just go yeah no (laughs) Uh, absolutely right go read this book and then you can come decide you should be complaining or not about whatever your thing is you know (laughs) um but yeah sounds like a fascinating book would be a good uh add add on or or to learn more about that time and uh certainly we have seen a lot of businesses and a lot of practices within the business world that are very short-sighted that, uh, in the last 10 years that really, uh, you know, kind of parallel to what you're talking about can be really be a problem if you put all your eggs in one basket or all your green in in one field, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, you've, you've brought up a lot of great things here today. We're we're just about out of time. Um, what would you summarize as the key points or the main thing that you think, you know, those people who are listening today should, should really take away and, and, and think about?
2: Well, you know, it all, again, it all boils down to being congruent with yourself and the organization you're in. To being able to be yourself and be, and be within that organization and be happy there. Well, if not even happy, at least satisfied. That I know that the work I'm doing is, is gonna help me out, is gonna be, is gonna be meaningful for me. You know, and I talk about when I talk to managers is I talk about, you know, showing people the vision that you have for them. You know, and what you think they can accomplish, and showing people the vision you have for the company, and showing them how that vision can help them get wherever it is where they want to go. Yeah, it's not and just that. And that uh, really, is what it comes down to. If you can show them how you can help make their dreams come true, nothing motivates people more than that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's not just about making them you know, completely invested in, and in loving whatever that company's doing. Cause sometimes what that company does isn't very glamorous, right. Or isn't very, very fun, but if but their job is and what and it's going to help them get where they want to go, absolutely. I think that's, 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 a great way to put it. Well, we'd love to have you come back at some point, Barry, and get it caught up on whatever else you're doing. Uh, but good luck with uh, all your different projects and speaking. And uh, we'll definitely talk soon. Thank you so much for being on the show.
2: Thanks for having me, Chris. I appreciate it.
1: All right. Up next is uh, Stephen Murphy. He'll uh, be here after this quick commercial break.
0: When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best kept secret with 90 percent of their business from referrals and repeat customers. For over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's US-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge with the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days, all with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information.
1: Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. As a reminder, if you have a question here for my next guest, just send it to @peopleg2. Use the hashtag #talenttalk. We'll try to work it in. Again, a reminder: you can visit uh, talenttalkradio.com, or go on the iHeartRadio app or the podcast app on iTunes uh, on your smartphone there and uh, download any of the past shows and join the other 190,000 people that are getting it each week. Really appreciate everyone's support and uh, bringing this to you every week. So my next guest is uh, Stephen Murphy, partner and CEO at Red excuse me, Red Bamboo Marketing. Uh, Stephen, welcome to the show.
3: Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me.
1: Uh, now, do you prefer Stephen or Steve?
3: Uh, you can call me Steve.
1: Steve, all right. I figured if I was calling you Stephen and you should go by Steve, it would be like you're getting in trouble. Anytime yeah, you want... Most
3: people end up uh, just calling me Murph after a while, so Murph. Well, say, we... call me whatever you want to call me. All
1: right, we'll get there eventually. All right, so tell me a little bit about yourself and, of course, about your company.
3: Sure. Red Bamboo Marketing is a boutique marketing agency based in Red Bank, New Jersey, right in the Jersey Shore area. Um, we're celebrating our one-year uh, anniversary this Thursday. Um, and I am the uh, chief marketing officer and head of our digital marketing department here, as well as one of the founding partners.
1: And, and I know by looking at your background, you've had a few different entrepreneurial ventures uh, over the last few years. So how is Red Bamboo kind of different from those other ones?
3: This one is all in, right? And some of the past things I've done, it's been either consulting businesses or it's been kind of a entrepreneur. Uh, type thing where I I don't go completely in, but um, I have put in the capital, we've hired the people, we've got the office. So this one is uh, for real, and I plan on sticking with it for a while.
1: Well, so as an entrepreneur, who are those uh, marketers that, you know, uh, that you use to kind of evaluate your own success?
3: Some of the markers, I mean, obviously you have things like revenue and profitability and uh, month-over-month growth. Those are the ones that we use, but uh, in addition to that, for myself, I like to look at a few things. Um, number one, happiness. Am I feeling happy right now where I'm working, uh, and do I look forward to getting up and going into the office every day? Uh, number two, pride. Am I proud of the work I'm doing right now? Would I be happy to brag about it to my friends and family? And lastly, a little bit more subjective, but feedback from others. I want to know what do other people think about my company, what do they think about the job I'm doing, uh, and how are clients responding to the work we're putting out there. Uh, I know those aren't, you know, really easy to measure, but I'm trying to get a subjective feel for how they are to see, you know, how I'm doing to see if I need to change anything up and improve.
1: You know, it's interesting when you, we were kind of mentioning some of those things. I mean, the, the, the revenue and the profit partners those are all, you have to have those to stay in business or else, you know, you're just going to be in a cardboard box talking about your business. Um, of course. but, but some of those other things that you mentioned, uh, you know, it was interesting when I was listening because most of those things all made sense. But the first one I was starting to reflect when you said, you know, my happy, uh, with what's going on right now. And, um, I, I, I kind of find that I'm, unhappy when things are going fairly well. And what I mean by that is it's, it's a bit chaotic, right? So when I'm happy and I realize things are, we're not doing enough. Like I'm not, you know, shaking things up and bringing in new projects and, you know, kind of stretching myself a little bit thin. So how, how do you kind of make sure you have that happy balance?
3: I kind of refer back to uh, past jobs when I know I've been categorically unhappy um, you know, the last time uh, I was working a full-time job, it was at a tech startup up in uh, Wall Street. Uh, and, you know, I was waking up every day, jumping uh, to commute at 5 a.m., not getting home till 9 p.m. every night. And my life got so monotonous that I didn't really have a care for anything else but work. Uh, and when I reflect back, you know, that's not the type of person I want to be and that's not the type of life I want to live. So when I try to measure happiness, I think to myself, am I prioritizing the other things in life that are really important and am I taking the time to enjoy those things? Or am I getting sucked into work so hard that I, I'm stressed out and, and can't think of anything else but work? I call it happiness. You might call it something else, but that's uh, kind of the way that... I like to gauge, uh, you know, how I'm doing.
1: Yeah, and everyone has to decide, you know, if, if you're in a startup like that, and you know, you may have to put in those kind of hours for you know, a period of time of your life, and that may give you the the resources or it might give you the experience or whatever you need to then maybe go on and do what you want. But to do that long-term, uh, especially if you're not the entrepreneur yourself or the owner yourself, is just not even it's not sustainable, and you just burn out and you get to be a you know horribly miserable person. Um, so it's yeah. it's it, it's it's a worth, it's a good point to really note for people to think about. Um, yeah, you know, if they're doing that kind yeah. of thing and they're not getting there's not some long term benefit to them there, uh, there's not much reason to be doing it because they could get an, easily get another job with far less stress, far less you know problems for them and enjoy the rest of their life.
3: Yeah, and sometimes it's not even the amount of hours you put in; it's how long do those hours feel relative to the right. rest of your day. And right. when they start feeling really long. That's when uh, when you need to shake things up a little bit
1: I used to give uh, uh, platelets, which is like giving blood, but back you know I don't know fifteen, twenty years ago, it was about a two hour process, and I found that I was doing that because it was a time when no one could call me, no one could bother me, and I got two hours of uninterrupted time to just think and then i realized i probably was doing the wrong thing and working too hard in the wrong ways um that i had to insulate myself for two hours to, to keep everyone from getting to me it's still important to donate blood and all those things but i didn't need to do it <laughs> as a, a as an escape you know um sure so it's always those kind of things people need to look for are you are you doing things to avoid i mean it's great to go to the gym, but are you going to the gym every day just so you can avoid you know, anyone bothering you or not having to work for that hour? You know, you got to put the right kind of balance in there. So, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you is um as an executive and founder of a company, you know, there's a particular uh, – you may have a particular culture in mind uh, that you really want to see. So what is the ideal culture for your company, even if maybe you're not there yet, uh, and what do you typically feel like you have to do to, to really achieve that?
3: Culture is one of those funny words that gets thrown around a lot, and it's almost like everyone has a different definition of it, right? Some people look at culture and they see workplace perks. Some people look at culture and they see the type of people um, that you hire and, and the way everyone acts. I don't like to force culture. I think when you try to force a particular culture, that's when you get the opposite effect, right? Right and it almost seems ingenuine. Instead, we like to cultivate a couple different ideals in the company, and, and we just hope that from those ideals, a culture will develop. Um, you know, one of them is honesty and upfrontness. Um, we want everyone that works for us to be able to speak their mind and to be able to make meaningful change. It's uh, so like I say, and every time we interview uh, new candidates to work with us, we say, we're interested in growing the company, not our egos. So if you have something to say, you need to say it so that the rest of us can get better.
1: Yeah, and, and if you can do that and, and keep that, while well, as you grow, that's a fantastic uh, thing to have. I mean, uh, that gets into the idea of transparency, and that's not just transparency from the top down. That's from the bottom up, right? Being honest, letting people know how you're feeling, what you're thinking, whether you think this project's going to work or not? Uh, that that's, that's hugely important because otherwise, people just go back and they they're passive aggressive, they sabotage, they just you know do mediocre work because they don't believe in it and they haven't really you know vocalized their objections.
3: Yeah, and and the beauty of being in a company that's still small like we are right now, uh, you know, around twelve people, um, is that it's a lot easier to foster that kind of environment. Um, You know, but I've been part of companies that have some serious growth pains because as you bring on 20, 30, 40, 50 employees, it gets a lot harder to have that kind of face-to-face, honest interaction. And uh, building out processes almost gets in the way of having that transparency in those conversations with people. So I feel a little spoiled right now that we're able to do that so successfully. But I know that as we continue to grow, we are going to have to put some some real programs in place to make sure that we keep that kind of culture.
1: Well, one of the things that we do is we have webcams, so we try to encourage everyone to have a lot of their phone calls, you know, uh, or via our uh, HipChat program or with Skype if it's a group meeting, because sometimes just that face-to-face stuff has a huge impact um, on picking up on body language and, you know, how people are reacting to things to try to pull out some of that honesty. Because uh, it's pretty easy to hide with if it's just on the phone, you yeah. Know, unless you're really
3: right. good at listening to voices. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that idea. I might steal that from you, so don't be mad if I do. No,
1: please do. I I stole it from somebody else, so it's, it's it's free. Perfect. Um, you know, there's a lot being said out there about employee engagement, and as you mentioned, it's it's a lot different when you've got a few people than it is if you have thousands or bring on, let's say, twenty new people. Um, but, you know, it is an important part of uh, the overall kind of motivation tool and retention tool. So what what is your sense about, you know, employee engagement as, as you kind of work to build a team uh, within your own company?
3: I mean, it's absolutely vital to our survival. We need everyone participating, all hands on deck at all times, because, uh, you know, we're not unlike some large fortune companies. Um, we can't afford to have hiccups um, you know that that take out a few clients, um, or that you know ends up losing people. So um, we believe really strongly in engaging all employees on all levels um, with most high-level business things. So we share all of our strategic goals with our employees. We share all of our numbers with employees, um, and we are always asking for feedback. Uh, throughout the day, throughout the quarter on how can we get better as a company. Uh, because without that feedback, you know, you could be going head first uh, into a tailspin and not even know it until it's too late. So, um, you know, engaging our employees helps to mitigate that risk and it helps to keep everyone else happy.
1: Are there some particular ways that you, you know, do that motivation?
3: I think motivation only gets you so far. Um, You know, when you think about, I like to compare it to working out, right? If you're motivated to work out, that can help you maybe a couple days a week or when you're feeling extra motivated. But when motivation drains, you have to rely on your rituals and your habits. So what we try to do is establish good habits here at Red Bamboo um, by making sure that we're always communicating uh, making sure that we're always asking questions uh, and to make sure that we have, you know, certain policies like answer your emails within 24 hours, all of them, right? Little habits like that can go a lot farther than something like motivation, uh, and I think they can help your employees get more things done without having to think about getting them done.
1: Yeah, that's a discipline that, uh, you know, a lot of people need and a lot of people are uh... – I was kind of searching for. So sometimes it's got to come from that, what you're talking about. Sometimes it comes from other types of engagement programs that people put in place, but it's just an important thing to massage whatever way is the best way for your company, uh, to make sure that's happening, uh, because it, it really quickly can become a problem and you get a few people, even in a large organization, you get a few people that can really cause cause havoc in a smaller organization. You get a few people and you can go out of business pretty quickly. Um, You know, so I know from a marketing perspective, and we can talk a little bit about your world here, um, you know, what are companies looking to do to enhance their own brand?
3: Sure. Even if I can just jump back to that last question real quick. Just for you, have you ever noticed how negativity seems to spread so much more quickly than, than positivity? If you get one bad apple in the bunch, it can spread to so many employees and morale can plummet. I mean, I've seen it before. I'm sure you've seen it before. It, it's just one of those really interesting phenomena and something that you have to nip in the bud before it becomes a huge, um, you know, problem throughout the whole organization.
1: What I notice is that negativity. So let's say that someone is upset about something within the organization, but other people will start to join in because they may be having negative feelings or upset about things that have nothing to do with the company. So they can just kind of take in, like, they're miserable about something, so they'll take in that person who's miserable about something at work, and then it kind of just seems to to spread. But yeah, that doesn't happen with positivity. Someone's really about something at work, and they don't necessarily go, well, yeah, and I'm having a great day at home, or, you know, my kids, are you know, going to, co-, they don't necessarily put the positives together, but that, what's that saying? Misery loves company. Um, you start yeah. getting those people huddled together all just, you know, complaining about whatever's bothering them. And, you know, if they're all sitting and doing it work, well, then you're the one who, who's going to get all that kind of pointed at them.
3: Yeah, and, and that's one thing. I mean, obviously we're not perfect. We're, we're still going through some growing pains ourselves being so young. But one thing we try really hard to do uh, is every week we put out something called Feel Good Friday, which is a, an email newsletter to the whole company where we ask everyone to send anything good that's happened to them that week and share with the team, whether it's something that you did at home, maybe your kids are going to school for the first time, or it's something really nice a client said about you, or even a new skill that you learned that you're proud of. And we found that's been a really positive um, thing that we've put out that a lot of people have responded well to and, and always keeps the morale up going into the weekend so that you have some momentum going into the next week,
1: and that's really important when you're a smaller organization. You're in, you know, startup mode, and you're you're working your butt off, and you're asking people to come and take a chance on you, and to probably work their butts off too, a lot harder than they would ha- maybe have to work in a in a giant organization. I mean, there's some tremendous rewards for doing that, but a lot of times it's a lot harder work um, than if they were sitting in middle of management somewhere in you know a Fortune 100 company. So, uh, um, sure. yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it's really important to, to do all those different things. And I, I like that idea that feel good Friday. We, 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 we like to do things a lot, uh, kind of on a regular basis. It's harder for whatever reason, it's harder for us to do something like once a week. So I'm thinking feel good four o'clock or something might be good for us, but, um, cool. I like that I like idea. That. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, back to what, to marketing and, and what you guys do is your core. So, Um, Again, the question was, you know, what are companies looking to do to really enhance their own brand from a marketing perspective?
3: One of the key things with brand that a lot of people don't realize, a lot of people look at brand and they think brand is your identity. Brand is how everyone outside your company, you know, views you. Uh, And they think of it as this completely external vehicle, but really brand starts with the people that you have working for you. And if your company doesn't live and breathe the ideals that you tell everyone that they, that your company does, um, it's not going to be authentic, uh, and it's really not going to come off that way. So we actually work with um, several clients that are struggling with this, that they're trying to develop a new brand and, and launch this new brand initiative, but no one in the company can articulate quite what it is, and they don't have consistency across the board, so rolling your brand out internally making sure all of your employees understand it uh, and align with it and then using that for your recruitment in the future to make sure that you bring in employees that embody those ideals uh, is such a huge part to actually building a brand that's going to be sticky uh, and that's going to last
1: yeah yeah and so are you seeing people that are actually trying to merge you know their own, sort of client-facing branding with their employee-based branding as well?
3: Yeah, I think so, and I think that's a trend you're going to continue to see um, because marketing seems to be merging with a lot of other departments. Marketing is merging with technology every day, Uh, and it's also merging with human uh, relations, human resources every day. Um, And more and more HR teams are developing that marketing mindset um, so that way, they can work together uh, to not only bring in new people that fit the brand, but to make sure that their existing brand matches what all the existing employees are already thinking, mm-hmm. right? So it's one of those things that's an iterative process, and it's constantly evolving um, to include more and more ideals for marketing in other departments.
1: It sounds like you've got a lot of great things that you're doing, and you're on the right track with your company. and um and how and how you're really approaching this so I, i'm one of the things i'm wondering is you know just from your own personal development was there someone that had a big impact on you and your in your past that you know, contribute to kind of the leadership style that you have now
3: sure yeah i mean i've i've uh, made a lot of mistakes in the past which i'm very happy um to have done when i was younger um rather than now but uh you know, a few of the people that really made a lasting impact, one is my high school wrestling coach back in the day. You know, he came to me and he said, character is the work you put in when no one's watching. Uh, and that really stuck with me because a lot of the times we want to do things and we want to get praise for those things and we want everyone to clap and say, hey, what a great job you're doing. Uh, but really what makes the big difference uh is all the work you put in behind the scenes. So that was one of those things that I try to live by. Um, that that I learned back in the day. Another lesson that really stuck with me was from a, a mentor I worked with um, back when I was in the city, and uh, he really taught me how to give and receive feedback, which is something that's lacking in I think a lot of educational programs. Uh, but it's so crucial to workforce development. Into growing a business, uh, which is, you know, being to really able to articulate, here's the feedback I have. Do you understand it, and what are you going to do to fix it? So that way, both parties are on the same page, uh, and you're not really leaving any animosity between you and your uh, coworkers and employees. So, those those are probably two of the bigger lessons I've taken out uh, from some of my mentors.
1: Yeah. And, and, and giving and, and receiving feedback is that kind of gets back into that honesty thing that you were talking about earlier, being able to to have that open dialogue. And uh, sometimes it's just free flowing and sometimes it needs to happen at a particular time. Uh, you know, when do you give that feedback and when do you talk about those things? And for every organization, that's a little bit different, but that's, uh, it's kind of an interesting, uh, component that you're talking about there. And I always love it when people, you know, can bring up some, Several interesting characters in their lives, some uh, that were important leaders uh, for them. Um, and so, your your high school wrestling coach—that's that's a great one. Um, the other thing we love to ask our uh, our guests is, what are you reading right now? Do you have a book that you're you're focusing on that you might share with us?
3: Sure. I mean, I am an absolute audiobook addict. Me too. I cannot get enough <laughs> of it. Um, if I'm staring at paper, I, I my thoughts wander, but. As soon as you crank up uh, the audiobook, I am completely focused on it. You know, I like to mix up a lot of fiction and nonfiction. Um, nonfiction helps me learn more, get better at what I'm doing, see a different perspective on work. Um, and I find, though, that mixing it in with fiction is really helpful to get my creative juices flowing. Because you know, there's only so many books on business and leadership development you can you can listen or read before you start going a little crazy. Um, so, some of the fiction books I'm reading right now. I uh, just finished up *The Martian* by Andy Weir. Um, I'm reading *Ready Player One* by Ernest Cline, and uh, and I read some of the uh, *Game of Thrones* books. So those are really good. Uh, and then on the nonfiction side, uh, I'm trying to mix it up with. Uh, an Introduction to Statistics textbook to get me back thinking into more analytical mindset, uh, as well as a book called Quiet, uh, which is about the difference between introverts and extroverts and how each different type of person likes to communicate and be communicated with. So it's a very wide array of books I'm, I'm in right now.
1: Sounds like a, a fa- yeah fascinating uh, group. I mean, the statistics one is probably a, a real... Uh... Real, real exciting one but like you said it's, it's really getting you in a particular mindset but the quiet one uh, of all those sounded really interesting to me just you know, knowing how different people communicate um, you know uh, gets in a little bit too but you know Adam Grant had the give and take book and those aren't necessarily introverts or extroverts but understanding the different ways in the p- way people interact can really have a huge impact on those people that are the best people to be in your life and how to get rid of those people that are causing you the most problems um, and being able to understand those, but so introverts and extroverts, you know, I find I have a harder time understanding introverts being being a sometimes extrovert, um, and so that sounds like a really good, really good book to maybe uh, check out.
3: You know, I'm a, I'm a textbook extrovert uh, almost to the T, um, and it's funny because my fiance is almost a textbook introvert, and there used to be so many times when I'd be frustrated and think why isn't she thinking the same way I'm thinking right now? Mm-hmm. And after reading this book, it's like a light switch flicked on, you know, where it's basically saying, I want to be around people all the time because it energizes me and brings me back to life where for a lot of introverts being around people drains their energy and they need their alone time to recharge their batteries uh, as well as, you know, a thousand other subtle differences that it mentions. But, Um, understanding that and taking that in both my personal life as well as in business, it's helped me sell better, it's helped me manage employees better, uh, and it's helped me overall just understand the world around me a little bit better.
1: Well, it sounds like a great one for people to check out. We're uh, unfortunately here out of time, but Stephen, thank you so much for being on our show today. We'd love to have you come back and hopefully give us a good report on on how much you guys are growing and, and, and doing well. Uh, but it was a real pleasure having you on the show.
3: That'd be great, thank you, Chris. All
1: Appreciate right. It. So uh, be sure to tune in 1 p.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time next Tuesday. Uh, my guests will be uh, Dr. Karen Robinson, VP of Human Resources at Exemplus Corporation, and Rod Wagner, a New York Times best-selling author and VP of Employment Engagement Strategy at BMI, BI Worldwide. Until then, do what—excuse the, uh, me. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today.
0: You've been listening to Town Talk Radio a Show, brought to you by People G Two.